0: Uh, okay, well, uh, if you want to turn to Acts chapter 1, we, uh, we got through, uh, almost through the end of, end of chapter 1, as we went through Acts. And I just want to do a quick kind of recap, I don't know how quick it will be, but we'll do a recap, um, and it uh, kind of titled it, What to Do While You Wait. And uh, we see, really, that the way the apostles, what they were doing while they were waiting um, on what Jesus told them to wait for. Uh, what were the what were the disciples the apostles waiting for? what did Jesus promise them the holy Spirit right Jesus said, "I, I need to leave, and the Holy Spirit will come so I just want you to wait um, and what did they do? The first thing that we saw is that they prayed and we looked at uh, who was there together, and it was the eleven uh, disciples now called apostles. And we looked at uh, who they were and a little bit about their background and their callings. And we saw that they have a diverse background, diverse callings. and so it's Jesus pulled these, these uh, men together um, to pour into them over the three years of His life. And uh, then we see we'll see kind of how God uses them in, in different ways. But right now they're together um, still. Uh, we found out that there's only 11 of them. There were always the 12. Um, and so we looked. Secondly, at the situation uh, where the twelve was only was now at eleven because uh, Judas, uh, because of the guilt of turning over Christ uh, to the authorities, uh, he hung himself. And we looked at uh, a little bit about that last week. What did they do during that time? And and what led them to the conclusion that they should replace Judas? Um, you know, can they get by with just eleven? You know, sometimes. Uh, businesses make that decision. You know, they, somebody moves on, or somebody gets fired, and they're like, "We can do it with only 11. But they felt twelve uh, was was needed, and we'll, we'll we'll get to that just in a second. But they were studying scripture, and it was one of those things. As you kind of you kind of read that, like you know, Peter goes to a couple portions in scripture to um, to really, I guess, support the uh, notion of replacing Judas. And when you look at those. Uh, verses, sometimes, you know, I wanted to pause and stop back and, and look at like what Peter did. Like what was his, uh, you know, what we call a hermeneutic. Like how does he view scripture and how does he apply that scripture? And that's important for us to do um, because sometimes when we look at Acts, and there's going to be a lot of things that we'll look at Acts and say, well, are we to do the same thing? Um, are we to apply this in the same way? And we can't do that when you look at narrative as much as like, this is what happened, so this is what we need to do. Um, but we can look a little bit at, this is how the apostles interpreted scripture, so can we interpret scripture in a similar way? And so, how do we kind of build that up by just what they did and what you know, maybe we could do as Well. So, um, they were studying scripture um, just as a part of of their routine, but you remember Jesus when he he, uh, was crucified, like all of their their teaching was Jesus pointing back to the Old Testament, Jesus giving them new teachings, and they were following him and learning from Jesus. Um, He went away, you know, and it kind of rocked their world, and they, they spread out, and, you know, or they kind of went into hiding. And when Jesus returned, you know, one of the first few things that we saw was that he was relating to them how the Old Testament pointed to him. Um, the, the road to Emmaus is, is the, the example that we see at the end of Luke. And so over those 40 days, you know, they must have been you know, going back over the Scriptures and seeing, wow, I didn't see Jesus in this. And there was, in, in Psalm 69, one of the verses that Peter quotes, and remember, before he quotes this verse, he says, he says, what the Holy Spirit spoke through the prophet David, you know Peter has an understanding that these are not just David's words, these are David's words as moved by the Holy Spirit, so really these are the Holy Spirit's words, and that when when he's there's there's a, a verse that talks about in psalm sixty nine about Jesus uh, or about sorry David talking about people who are um uh basically his adversaries, and one of them says that they made him drink sour wine. Um, and that verse has been quoted in the Gospels as alluding to what Christ had to d- did on the cross. And so you see kind of these uh, Christ-centered uh, um, allusions uh, in Psalm 69. And so when Peter you know, is reading that, he's probably pouring through that psalm and other psalms. Um, that he sees these other things that are described of the adversaries. One of them is that your camp must be desolate. And so this, this vacancy in this office that Judas is no longer there um, is an illusion in Psalm 69. In Psalm 109, David is talking about those who betray him. And remember, Jesus, Judas would have betrayed uh, Jesus. And that uh, David cries out and says, may his office, not, not only may he, may he be uh, brought before judges and may he be found guilty because this person is saying that he's the guilty one and David says, you know, may he be the one that be found guilty. But not only that, may his office be replaced. And so Peter uses that to say we should replace Judas's office. There's other things too that say, well, you know, um, did it have to be 12? Well, 12 is an, kind of an important number that you see repeatedly through Scripture um, uh, with, you know, not only the, the 12... Um, Uh, Tribes, the twelve sons of Jacob, the twelve tribes. You even see when Levi uh, is not given a portion of land, right? Because the tribe of Levi is going to be priests. That doesn't leave it with eleven. How do? How are those two tribes? How? How is that tribe made up with? Like what? What replaces Levi's tribe for the twelve tribes that get its land? What's that? Yeah, so split the two tribes of Joseph. That Joseph's sons get two. So to the twelve is remain intact. So there's kind of even precedence to go back and say, well, Levi isn't getting land because they're going to be the priests. But let's still have this twelve. Um, we'll see that in the future. We don't know if things were alluded to beforehand or if this is completely new to John, which would, which would have been in the future from when Acts is written. But in Revelation twenty one fourteen, we read. Um, talking about the new heavens and the new earth, that the wall of the city, meaning the new Jerusalem, had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Well, you wouldn't assume that Judas was one of the 12 apostles, that being the betrayer, so this 12, that there would be a 12th apostle. Is that after the fact because they did have 12 or, you know, before the fact? But you see, again, that 12 is an important number. They were always referred to as the 12. And so, again, they they feel like they have this precedence uh, in order to do that. Um, So we kind of step back and we say, well, Peter, you know, was Peter justified in his his interpretation? Yes, he was justified in his interpretation um, because... uh, to apply David to Christ is a logical leap because David was promised in the Davidic covenant that there would be a king in his line and that Jesus would be the ultimate uh, fulfillment of that. And so to have, a, um, to have the references to David be applied to Jesus would be an acceptable leap to be made as of for Jesus' betrayer as David was talking about his betrayers. So is that something that we could do? No, because we can't make that logical leap to say like we are in that fulfillment of David or even in that fulfillment of Christ. And so what Peter was doing had more uh, had a justification as they poured over the scriptures. Again, they would have been recently in the scriptures, and just as we go through um, through the scriptures and and pour over how to how to make decisions. Um, uh, we look to see if we are justified in the decisions that we make. Um, there are times, you know, so, so stepping back, I, even then to make the final decision uh, or make, make kind of like the, the thought um, because, I don't know if you guys have heard, well we'll, well, we'll get to it in a second when we get to what they actually did, but some would say, you know, should they have waited and should have Paul have fulfilled this role as the 12th apostle, Instead of making their decision. Now, you can't argue on that one because it's, it's, you know, we don't have any confirmation and people like to disagree on that. But I want us to kind of step back and think about how we make decisions and we'll, we'll dump, jump into that a little bit as we look at what they did, um, moving forward. So Peter was justified. In the end, they're doing God's will. Was that what, you know, God's, uh, desire, we'll find out. Well, well, we won't find out, but we'll see. We'll, we'll walk through on this, on how to make decisions. So I'm leaving a little bit, a little bit unclear for a second. But as far as what, what Peter was doing, looking at the Old Testament and uh, finding justification that they had grounds moving forward. And so for us, we see the two things we looked at last week, whenever we're uh, waiting on something, and again, we, we said we're always waiting on something, uh, is that praying, seeking God's will, uh, looking at the scripture, seeking what um, uh, people had done in the past, or clear teaching on specific things about how we should act uh, is good, um, uh, I don't know, good, good support for us to move forward. So this week, we're going to see what the, the third thing they did um, as, as they waited. And the third thing we see as they waited, they actually moved forward with their decision. Um, and we'll, we'll actually talk about, kind of thinking about that a little bit later. So, starting in verse 21. Starting in verse 21. So we see, so one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went... Uh, so, so, we'll back up in verse 20. Uh, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate... Let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. So this is, we need to replace Judas. And Peter stands up and says this to the rest of the disciples, the 120 that were there. And he says, so one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, um, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. Okay, so we know that there are more than 12 disciples, 12 that followed Jesus from the very beginning. What are some other places that we see that in Scripture? Can you guys think of anything where, um, what's that? John chapter 6. Okay, John chapter 6. So what is the reference there? disciples were listening to and a lot of them left Okay, so it's John six sixty six, where a lot of them left and, and would hear him no more when he's talking about um, eating of the bread. Uh, which is himself, um, so some of them walked with him no more, uh, so some of them left. Uh, what else do we know? We know that there's kind of this 12 that was always referred to, but Jesus sent out a group of disciples to go, uh, gave them power, they would go and preach, go by twos. You remember how many were there? So it was 70, yeah, and sometimes, depending on uh, on um, which, which reference, 70 or 72, uh, described, Matthew 10 says 72, uh, were sent out. And so uh, we know that there's more than just those 12, but it was the 12 that were poured in in a specific amount a little bit more than, than the rest. Um, and he says that we need to choose one of, one, of the, one of these people who were there from the beginning from the baptism of John. Why do you think they start with the baptism of John? What was unique or significant about the baptism of John? So John, the, John the Baptist, baptism of first who, Jesus. of Jesus. Good. And so what? What? Uh, what is this mark? Okay. Yeah, so we've got we've got several things. Is that we've got the the audible confirmation, right? Some people heard it as thunder, but others heard it as as God speaking. And what did He say? Yeah, so this is my son who I'm well pleased. And so the confirmation, and then uh, we see the Holy Spirit descending upon Jesus, and this really marks what. Yeah, the beginning of his ministry. Yeah. So we see, like, from the very beginning, when Jesus started, like, that's the starting point. Any of the disciples that were there from that point further, um, that were walking with Jesus, that heard Jesus' full, um, teaching, that was there from the very beginning, we're gonna, we're gonna have that as the starting point. Um, just the cutoff uh, of whom to choose these disciples. Jesus made his decision about his disciples early on, and so they're going to make their decision um, from that same point early on. One of the distinctions between the 12 and the other disciples is that Jesus chose the 12. Yes, yes. Yes, as for the other disciples, true, true. Yeah, the others were... uh... Now... Yeah. And it's interesting, though, you know, when you look at um, uh, Jewish literature about um, the kind of the the rabbi-disciple relationship, usually it was a disciple that came to the rabbi and asked, can I be your disciple? Uh, So that's the unique thing about Jesus, is that Jesus actually called out those whom he said, I want you to follow me, and this is what I'll do for you. It was usually the opposite. Um, where they came and said, "Hey, can I follow you?" And then the rabbi usually, you know, said, "Yes, you can. You can follow me um, if you felt like you wanted to take on a disciple." And then they just followed him wherever he went and uh, learned um, from their teachings and learned from their just being exposed to that. Um, so, yeah. So these other disciples, from what we know of, weren't given given that calling, or we, we haven't we don't have any indication uh, in scripture that they were called out. These were just, uh, were there on their own accord. Amongst others who were there on their own accord. Um, And Jesus, we also saw, incorporated them, though, into the ministry and even sent some out to uh, prepare them. Um, And so we see, so not only at the very beginning, um, when Jesus was baptized, uh, but also a witness to his resurrection. Okay, so uh, what is, you know, so first, and a witness to his resurrection. What is this referring to? How would they, how would they witness that Jesus was resurrected? Okay, so they saw him after he was resurrected. So very beginning, all the way through his death and were even there, you know, after the fact and saw him reappear. So it wasn't that they were there in the beginning and maybe, you know, they got transferred for a job or something, you know. And, <laughs> and so they weren't there for the resurrection, um, and only maybe heard about it, but though uh, you know, and those not only who came to faith during the resurrection and weren't there at the beginning. So they're they're making this kind of bookends to where Jesus was there starting his ministry. And they're saying really that Jesus' ministry ended on earth after his resurrection and when they uh, to when Jesus departed from them. So they kind of um, they're they're going to be, you know, they're they're making somebody, an apostle, who is again, somebody who is sent out. And Jesus said, I want you to be as my apostles, a witness of me, and so they're acting kind of in an official capacity, and we'll see that role a little bit later on when we see different uh, you know people come down and, and um, approve of what is going on in the spreading of the church and so sometimes you know so, so they're adding somebody on that is going to be seen as a leader, somebody who's going to be uh, part of that inner group, and so somebody who's been around that whole time. And so they, w- they want to make sure that this person's marked off, that nobody from the outside could say, you know, you shouldn't be an apostle, you weren't there at the beginning, or you weren't there at the end. And so they're, they're trying to, trying to uh, make uh, good decisions on that. Is this scripturally based? Like, is there anywhere in Scripture that says it had to be from the beginning, had to be in the resurrection? And how they're coming up with their conclusion? No, not, not you know no because this is a new thing, right? This is a, this is something something new, but they're they're making making their decisions based on what seems prudent, based on this need to replace Judas that they feel like they have scriptural warrant in order to do, and so it says they put forward two. It says Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place of this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. So one of the people that they put forward says his name, who was Joseph. He was called Barsabbas, uh, which whenever you see somebody that has the, the prefix bar, it means son of. And then Sabbath is Sabbath. Um, and so sometimes you'll see that there's Barabbas and there's Barsabbas and there's even Barnabas. And so those are the ones that are immediately coming up there. there probably might be others. So his, his name means son of the Sabbath and he's also referred to as justice. So this guy's got a lot of nicknames. Um, some people think that Barsabbas may also be Barnabas, which would be another fourth nickname. Um, so maybe, uh, it's possible, but again, not conclusive in any amount. Um, uh, but we see him being placed forward. So we've got son of the Sabbath, justice, it means righteous. Um, and so uh, would have been a person who would have been seen as an upstanding in character. Um, and so, again, to be put forward um, would have had a, a good uh, example to others uh, just from his name. Um, because these were the names that he was called, not only from Jews, but also from um, from Gentiles uh, or Greek, you know the the justice, that part of his name, um, so he was placed forward, and then Matthias, who we don't have any nicknames for. so these two, but his name means gift of God, which is a good a good uh, good name to support his role. Um, and it says they, they, they prayed, and they said, "You Lord, you know who the hearts of all." Show which one of these two you have chosen. So they pray and they say, Lord, please reveal to us whom you have chosen. All right? So these two are equally valid in their eyes as to take over the work, um, which is the ministry, uh, sometimes as it's translated, but it's the work. It's the same word, uh, diakonos, which we'll see for deacon. Um, but they're going to take over this ministry, this office that has been vacated by Judas. And so they, they go to the Lord and they say, Please reveal to us which one of these two that it will be. And so how do they do that? We'll see this in verse 26. And so they cast lots for them. And the lot fell on Matthias. And he was re- uh, numbered with the eleven apostles. So we see that the way that they go about it is by casting lots. Lots. And so we're will have to. we going to stop and kind of think about that for a little bit. First, what does it mean to cast lots? We've seen this a couple places in Scripture. What's that? It's like draw straws. Okay. doing something that they feel that God's sovereignty is deciding which one to win. Okay. Okay. Yeah, so what what is the idea? Well, when do we see casting lots? So in one sense, you may be right, because we don't know exactly, know for sure, what casting lots is, although the term casting usually tends to mean throwing, mm-hmm. and, and, to, uh, and so what do you typically throw? Dice. Okay, so, so it might have been a... a li- different size or something. Exactly, exactly. So some, it would be uh, akin to throwing dice, uh, casting dice. Um, whether the shape was the same, probably not. It could be different stones that had different markings, probably stones, you know, if you thought of the materials that they had on hand. Um, where do we see casting lots occur? Okay. Yeah. So, so casting lots happened at the cross. Uh, who was casting the lots? Okay. The soldiers and they were wanting what? Right. Right. So, they cast these lots in order to divide up, and, and so if it fell on you, you got this portion. If it fell on you, you get this portion. So, they were, they were seeking just rolling the dice, you know, and I'm using that term uh, as, as something that we would, we would understand rolling the dice and saying, like, you know, rolled on this, okay, goes to you. Um, so, when we see that, uh, you know, again, we don't know if it's casting stones, casting maybe sticks, something like that. What would be on there? That have uh that data to that era. Well, I don't know when they dated. Okay. They're old and they like, I mean where did they get the idea, yeah? You know? <laughs> it wasn't like nineteen fifties where it's like <laughs> they were a lot smaller they were a lot smaller and but they had dots on them. Yeah. Okay, so they had they had numbers? Yeah. numbered dots instead of images? Okay. Yeah, so uh again, just confirming this idea uh that um that this is something that is is a present. So um, so they, they didn't know how to move forward, right? They had these equally, two equal decisions, right? And sometimes we have the same thing, right? Where we, we have these two equal decisions and we're like, I don't know, you know? And usually they're innocuous, you know? It could be, um, you know, where are going to eat tonight? Or like, uh, who gets the front seat today? Or, you know, sometimes parents usually try to make more discernment about decisions like that, um, uh, but, you know, we would we would say it's like flipping a coin, right? Before, like, you know, before most games, it's like, well, what's, which end zone are you going to have? Let's flip a coin, and whatever it lands on, then, you know, that's like the big thing in the Super Bowl, right? The big coin toss. Who's going to get whatever? And they're just flipping a coin, and, you know, and no one argues with that. Every once in a while, you might have something where I think there was where, there was one where a coin toss went up, and it didn't flip around too many times, and so they were like, was that really fair? But for the most... most Chance, you know, people say that just you know flipping a coin is fair, um, and some people have that that worldview. Um, there was a, a a a comic book character that would uh, would flip a coin um, and make decisions based on that, and so you you saw actually through through what that the author of that that comic book character was trying to reveal this particular worldview, um, which was relied everything on fate and that you took everything out of your hands and you just let fate decide, you know, which is end up, ends up almost... you know, It's ignoring God in this situation, but almost elevating this thing called fate, or what we might say is chance, uh, up to this level of having power or having the ability to make decisions. And so it's out of my hands, but I put it in the hands of some unknown fair chance. And so by flipping a coin, decisions were, were, are, are made. And we see that, you know, a lot of people have that worldview, that they'll just let something else decide, or they'll even say, like, the way that the world came about was purely by chance. Um, And that it's not in their hands, right? It's not in God's hands, but it's in some sort of unknown force that has this power over the universe, Sounds like a god, right? Um, but and so so, but it was seen as you know where people you know two people they could they could look at that and say, well, these you know if uh, they and dice sometimes are described as is, is it a fair die a fair dice and sometimes that that term is is thrown in there to say that it's equally weighted on each side um, or a fair coin is that it's equally weighted on on one side um, and so we'll we'll uh, you'll make decisions based on whether that is right or wrong. So when you talk about that and say like well that seems like a kind of a funky worldview and something that probably doesn't have its place in the Bible or shouldn't have its place in the Bible, should these gentlemen be making these decisions based on rolling the dice? And so I know for me sometimes I look at that and I feel a little uncomfortable about that. But do they have precedence for doing this? You know, do they have do they have um, uh, you know anything passed in scripture that that supports this? Other than some soldiers who you know were just the common lot of of the day of the, the general public casting lots. You know, does that make our decisions for us? Well, everyone else is doing it; it's accepted by the culture, so we should do it too. Uh, there's a couple of proverbs that speak about rolling, you know, or casting the lot. Uh, one of those is Proverbs 18:8. <clears throat> And uh, this proverb says, The lot puts an end to quarrels and decides between powerful contenders. That's, that's, I don't know, you know, it's one of those verses that I was like, I think it's, you know, as you read the Proverbs, it's, again, if you're, a, if you're a daily Proverbs reader, um, sometimes there's some that stick out a little bit more than others. So the lot puts an end to quarrels and decides between powerful contenders. The idea is that casting lots... Again, is most people decide is this a fair coin? Flip the coin; it's fair on either side, and so people can't argue, um, right? They're leaving it up to this other thing making the decision for them, and most people usually are okay with that. You know, some might say, oh, "Well, it's three out of five, you know, or five out of seven, you know, um, and try to try to see how many times they'll they'll push that, but usually. You know, if it's weighted fairly, you have an equal chance one way or the other, and then just to make a decision when a decision is hard to make. Proverbs sixteen thirty three says the lat the the lot is cast into the lap, but to every de- but it's every decision is from the Lord. You know, so that's another thing is that they recognize again that it's not this unknown fate that it is when they flip a coin that that it is. Um, the decision is how god 's will will be done. This ends up you know bringing into what could be a, a much larger discussion um, and really you know prepare to go into. but as you start and you, you stop and you talk about decisions being made and, and there 's always a certain things that I, you know I always look back in my own life and I remember um, whether you know I haven't really unpacked whether my wisdom was, was right wisdom or not. But I remember a friend coming to me and asking me about, um, you know, he was dating this girl, and he was like, I just really don't know. He he just always wrestled with, like, making the right decision or not. And he said, I don't know if I should ask, you know, her to marry, marry me or not. And so... Um, <laughs> And so at this point, I think I was just becoming a little more blunt with him. And I was like, is she a godly woman? He's like, yes, she's a godly woman. Like, is there anything scripturally that would, like, keep you from making the decision? He's like, I don't know, it's just kind of a permanent decision. You know, is she the right one? <laughs> um, and I, t- I totally have the same, I, I think I shared, it, maybe it was when I was preaching, I had the same anxiety about baby names. I was like, you know, their name is, gonna- they're going to have this name forever, you know. Bubba, he's going to be Bubba for the rest of his life, you know. So my, so the way I responded, I said, if you decide, if you ask her to marry her and you get married, that's the Lord's will. And if you decide not to marry her, that's the Lord's will. I mean, either way, the, thy, thy will will be done, right? God's will will be done. And so is that the best decision for his life, you know, that, that's where you kind of go back and say, like, well, I don't know. Well, if he chose, you know, knowing that over time this would have happened. or I mean, you know, you can always, like, re- think about the things differently. It's, it's like when kids ask, you know, what if Eve didn't eat from the tree? It was like, she did. <laughs> um, and so we can always speculate uh, I mean, I guess we might ask today, like, what happens if this didn't happen? Um, you know, what if, if, if this, uh, there's a series that's going, that um, th- we've been talking about at our school about what ifs, and uh, that's the, one of the things that, that, um, uh, that you know, when you talk about what ifs, it's usually like an empowering, encouraged thing, like, what if I wasn't so timid, or what if I, you know, didn't, you know, wasn't so shy, and I shared the gospel with some person, and so you talk about what ifs sometimes, so like, Empower you, like. Well, what if you know you just follow what God wants you to do? And so sometimes that can be empowering, but it also can then like unravel God's sovereignty in in decisions. Like, well, what if what if I actually went up and talked to that person? Well, you, you didn't. Maybe that conviction is there, and that God is now convicting you. in the next time to teach you that the next time you need to move forward. Um, but but what happened was was God's will, you know. Being laid out in your life as God is sovereign over all events in history. So, to cast the lot for them, you know, and, and Proverbs says that, is that when you cast the lot, really, like the decision that's made is is ends up being the Lord's decision. And understand that that is, um, that is coming from the Lord, okay? This is the last time we hear about casting lots. And, and this is, um, and it's the last time we hear about. Matthias. That's not really unrelated, but the two decisions that we hear that the decision was made, the, the cast it it fell upon Matthias, that he was now this twelfth apostle, and we don't hear about him anymore in scripture. Um, tradition says that he was martyred uh, for the faith, so you know tradition carries on that that he was not insignificant, that he he. Probably did fulfill his role as an apostle, as a witness of Christ, if, if indeed that he did meet his end in that way. But we don't hear about him. He's not a central f- uh, focus in the book of Acts. He wasn't mentioned in any of Paul's letters. Um, and so that's kind of the last that we hear about Matthias. It's also that the last that we hear, again, unrelated things, but it's the last we hear about casting lots in order to make a decision. And so for us, and we stop and say, is it, is it okay, you know, should we flip coins today, you know, to make decisions. You know, should my friend have been like, oh, I should have like slid over a coin and said like, this will tell you whether you should, you know, um, marry her or not. Magic eight ball. What's that? Magic eight ball. Magic eight ball. <laughs> I, you know, I miss that, you know. Oh, except you'd get the maybe, right? The, I think that's one of them. Maybe. Like, no, like, shake it up again. Um, <laughs> Get a firm decision. So, uh, why would we say that that is not something that that we should still rely on? It, it, you know, again, it's it's probably okay for innocuous decisions, again to get into, you know who gets what end zone or whatever, and, and maybe even in certain affairs, um, it's it's okay just to to roll the dice or flip a coin. Why should we do that today? Okay? Okay? Well, in that case, you know, there is something that, like, the, the scales are not, not even, right? So there is, like, a weighted choice, and you would be going against that logical decision. But if it's, like, should I get vanilla or should I get chocolate? Um, what's your big decision sometimes, right? Um, what's that? That, one's not a big <laughs> that was not a big decision. Both. You, you yeah, know your both. answer. Both. You the, the swirl. <laughs> Just get this swirl. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I would say, you know, the Holy Spirit's not there yet. Okay. And, uh, you know, we, post-Holy Spirit, we can rely on His informing our conscience through the Word rather than catching a lie. Yes. Yeah, so when it comes to maybe, I don't know, more serious decisions uh, and and things that, that are important, you know, um, again, not that some things, chocolate and vanilla, are important. But, you know, the things that are, that are uh, of significance is that, uh, that we rely on the Holy Spirit to impress upon us, to guide our wills to what Christ's will is. Uh, you know, if we follow those first two steps, we're praying, we're seeking the Lord in this decision, we're seeking Scripture, looking for either precedent or looking for particular uh, scriptural guidance about what to do next, um, that we can use those things to then confidently, and if we're still kind of up in the air, you know, confidently to move forward in, in the decisions that they make. And so as they, you know, as they, they waited, they prayed, as they waited, they saw Scripture. But then for them, they moved forward in the decision that they were going to make as they, they waited um, in order to make a decision. Um, now, uh, if anyone's ever read Jay Adams or familiar with, uh, he's, a, he's a counselor, and um, he's written a book called uh, it, The Christian's Guide to Guidance. Um, and he kind of talks about that in, uh, in, in this post because I wanted to c- capture something that he talks about when he talks about actually like the waiting principle uh, or the holding principle. So the apostles here are moving forward with their decision in order to to go forward, and but there's also a, a um, uh, good guidance to um, maybe hold off on making a decision if you don't feel compelled to do it. And let me, let me kind of capture, he's responding to a question about how can I be sure that my counselor tells me, what my counselor tells me is God's will. So he's referring, uh, being a counselor, if somebody is going in counseling, how do I know that my counselor is, is, is telling me, you know, how I should move, you know. He says, you'll never know by looking for peace feelings, sensings, promptings in the spirit, circumstances, or any other such thing. I'll pause there because that's kind of a, where a lot of people make their decisions. You know, It's okay to be at peace with a decision, but just because you're not at peace with a decision doesn't mean you can't make the decision. Right? Some people are just wired emotionally in different ways. And so uh, or some people are at peace and they're completely at peace, making the wrong decision, right? There's sometimes you're like, "No, don't do it," and they're like, "I feel at peace about this." And you're like, "Don't listen to it," <laughs> you know. So he's saying, "Don't let your emotions be your guide." He says, "I've exposed the unbiblical fallacy of doing so in my book, The Christian's Guide to Guidance," which is a great book um, to you know, as far as to refer to that a little bit more. He says, these methods of attempting to ascertain God's will are unbiblical. That is why you not only can't trust them, but doubtless will go wrong if you do. What then can you do to be sure that you're following God's will? You must have solid biblical reasons for your actions. Until you do, you should not take any action. That is clear from Romans fourteen nineteen through 23. Let me read that real quick so we... Romans 14, 19, he says, So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it... Uh, It is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So he says, the upshot of those verses... Which end with the words, whatever isn't done in faith is sin, is that you should put on hold any such action until such a time as you are certain that you have a biblical warrant for it. This is the important holding principle that your counselor may tell you about. But once you have a solid biblical reason for moving ahead, you should not hesitate, no matter how new or difficult it may be to do it. By a solid biblical reason, I mean a reason or reasons that grow out of a biblical teaching that has been clearly explained and accurately applied. Do not merely take your counselor's word for something. Ask him to show you how the biblical reason, uh, or show, show you the biblical reason why he is telling you to do whatever he recommends. If you don't understand his explanations, then tell him so and ask him to make it clear. You must know what God says in his word. You may not operate on supposition or anything less than absolute certainty that you are in God's will according to His word. You're obligated to listen carefully to the explanations that your counselor gives. Don't settle for what he says. Be sure that you understand his interpretation, that you agree with them, and that you are moving forward with certainty based on biblical truth solidly explained. And so we come back to uh, the decisions that the apostles are making. um, that they have, did they have biblical warrant to move ahead? I would say the answer is yes. Um, then they move ahead, and then they cast lots, knowing that there is biblical, there is precedence, there's proverbs that, that speak to this uh, effect, and that there is even the understanding that um, some would say that sometimes that, that's how that, it was counseled by the high priest um, uh, in order to make decisions... Um, from God. And so that they take these things and then they move forward with the decision that they didn't feel like they needed to hold and wait, that they had biblical warrant in moving ahead and filling this vacancy with the 12 while they waited for the Holy Spirit to act. So that's great advice. Some people say, you know, maybe Peter got it, they got it wrong. They should have waited. They should have, you know, apostles should have been that last one. But I say, like, sometimes will Christians disagree on certain things. Passages of Scripture. Sure. So sometimes we'll make it, we'll we'll read Scripture, and we'll fee, feel confident in how we're going about making our decisions based on Scripture, even though sometimes maybe it, it isn't wise, maybe it isn't uh, prudent that there are other things that we are we are interpreting based on our own emotions or desires, um, and feeling you know, and sometimes again people are led confidently by scripture but come to different conclusions. And so um, so are they right or are they wrong? I swear yeah. So we we're, we're left like that, right? You know, some some you know, you might you might feel um, moved to um, address a particular sin uh, in someone's life like immediately after you see it. And so you could find biblical warrant to say that. I need to go address somebody who falls in sin. You might feel it's prudent to wait and to see how that plays out. You might have some experience, like I'm going to address this sin, but maybe I don't have all the facts. And maybe there are certain things, it's, you know, it's, it's prudent in order to, before I, before I go and bring this sin before them, to understand the situation more and to, uh, to find out exactly what's going on. And so you may feel like you want to wait and gather some information before moving forward. Well, who's right and who's wrong? You know, Maybe it depends. Maybe it depends on you know, how it plays out. So in the end... When it comes to this decision, I feel like Peter had biblical warrant in order to do so. And then, as far as like whether it was right or wrong in the decision, that's purely speculative, right? We we won't know. You know, maybe in the end, you know, the Lord says, "Yeah, they should have waited for Paul." Or no, Matthias. You you meet Matthias, and you're like, "Hey, you know, there's Matthias um, in heaven." And so, uh, but in order to make decisions, whether it's whether it's right or wrong, the decisions that are made are going to be in God's will, however they play out. Um, But we should seek the Lord through prayer, through Scripture, and now that we have the Holy Spirit through the Holy Spirit's prompting, so we don't need to cast lots anymore, that actually would be less preferred. When Jesus said that the Holy Spirit will come, that He will give you uh, guidance, He will give you the words to speak um, and uh, understanding, right? God said in the, when he talked, was talking about the new covenant that I'm going to place my spirit within you and that you will know my law. That, that would be a better uh, understanding of how God wants to move in our lives um, for that. And so we kind of step back and there's, there's all these things uh, that we kind of look at that we see what happened during this time. And they're choosing that we can apply to our own lives and understand how we move forward and how we make decisions. And then sometimes it is prudent to, to hold, to wait. I don't know. I don't have, maybe I don't have clear warrant biblically. I, I, I'm not for sure about this. And so because we don't want to do something out of, not out of faith, you know, the apostles were moving in faith, confidently understanding that Christ was being talked about in order to make their decision. And then Matthias was, was chosen as that final apostle. I remember a little story years ago. Yeah flood, Rain flood these two Christians on top of the rooftop. I'm sure you heard And one of them, you know, God is good. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm a faithful Christian. God will save us. Yeah. And this log comes along, busts against the roof. And let's get on that log. You know, God will save us. Yeah. So two or three other things. And so finally, the water rises, they drown, you're in heaven. And they said, God, you, you know, I was a good person. Why didn't you save us? And he said, Well, what about the log? What about the helicopter? What about the boat? Yeah. Things might save them the way they wanted to be saved. Yeah, and and again, because we're sinful, we we miss we misinterpret, you know, the events that um, that we see before us, and we see it. You know, there's plenty of things that you can look back in your own lives. How to, you know, why Christians argue over this, these certain things? Um, do they have biblical warrant? And and sometimes sometimes we even say maybe the arguing overshadows the fact that that they're both. You know, I. No matter when you read a particular book on a particular subject, the author most of the time will say, "We need to seek scripture in order to get a proper understanding and then they 'll go and, they'll, and you're like well i don 't believe that you know I think they 're mis you know, looking at the scripture uh, you know with a whatever wrong faulty interpretation or, or whatever um, so that makes me go back and say, well maybe i 'm the one who's looking at it in a faulty interpretation, and so there are just certain things that um, will be clearly revealed to us, right, that, that Deuteronomy speaks about. There are certain things about God's will that have not been revealed to us, um, sometimes on purpose so we can trust Him more uh, and rely upon Him more in the decisions because if it was just a flip of a coin, would we seek Him? No, we'd pull out our coin and say, well, here's a decision. Let's go with that, right? And God wants us, that's not our relationship. God wants us to, to seek Him, all right? So everyone's evacuating. All right, let's, uh, any, other, any other final comments? All right. We'll uh, head to chapter 2, and we'll celebrate the birthday of the church next week um, with that. All right, you guys are dismissed.